hey everybody, my name is Andrew, uh, you can call me McGill, most of you guys probably know me as McGill, but uh, I just wanted to thank you all for coming out tonight. Um, typically, I would get up here and tell you guys some biographical information about myself, but tonight I don't want to do that. Like Typically, I would get up here and tell you that I'm a student at Grace University getting my degree in Christian ministry, or that I was at Nebraska Westland for three and a half years, but... Like, you guys really don't care about that. And I, I want to get up here and I want to preach Colossians 2, 16 through 19 and proclaim to you that Christ is sufficient. I mean, if you really wanted to know that in 2012 I went to, uh, went to San Diego Summer Project or that this summer I'm going to South Africa, you could come up and ask me about that later. But I don't want to talk to you guys about that tonight. I, I don't want to waste your time telling you guys a bunch of things about me. Uh, things like I have a size 14 shoe and it's impossible to find them. Or uh, that I lead like 15 guys uh, in a time called chapel night every Sunday at the Omar. I, I don't want to waste your time with that because it would take some sort of pompous imbecile to assume that you came here to know that I am fluent in German or um, other things like that that you would find on my personal biography. Instead of telling you that I like the Green Bay Packers or that my favorite book of the Bible is Titus, uh, I want to ask you guys a question. What is your favorite Christian saying? Now, the cheesier, the better. Okay, I'm looking for something, honestly, that triggers like a, a little idea about Jesus or communicates a biblical truth about, I don't know, spirituality or whatever it might be for you. Um, things that you would find on coffee mugs, things that you would find on uh, college Christian girls' dorm room walls, like uh, things like live, laugh, love, or um, home is where the heart is, or for all of you guys who know me pretty well, you can know like one of my favorite life sayings is, you win some, you lose most. You win some, you lose most. Um, I, love, I love these things. Uh, and so I want you guys to be thinking of that right now. Think of it. Think of a delightfully useless saying in your life. All right, you guys actually think about that, or are you waiting for me to talk about the next point? Oh, unresponsive. Good. That's what I was looking for in an audience. Uh, so maybe, maybe some of you are wearing I am second bracelets. Anybody got one of them? We've got one, two, two out in the audience. Thank you. Um, I have one that I just got today. It says it's, uh, it stands for I am Protestant. It's a conversation for another time, but it's cool, all right? Uh, that's pretty fun. Uh, but maybe uh, you got a Bible verse tattooed on your shoulder, or maybe you got a cross somewhere else, or maybe for you Christian hipsters, you've got uh, a Hebrew word tattooed on your body somewhere, um, like maybe your forearm or something. Um, Sorry, I thought I saw somebody back there. Uh, for example, or no, before I get into the example, uh, I'm bringing up all of these things because I'm trying to make a point uh, that all of those tattoos, all those Bible verses, all of those mugs, all of those bracelets, all of those posters, all of those things at one point most likely held a much more significant value in your life than it currently does. Like, if we're just being honest, let's, let's be honest with ourselves, like, it's not as effective in your life as it once was. And, for example, uh, I have a tattoo of 2 Corinthians 5.21. 
Thank you. I was so hoping you guys would get that. Uh, yeah, so I have, I have 2 Corinthians 5.21 tattooed on my shoulder. Uh, and it says, God made him who knew no sin become sin for us so that we may become the righteousness of God. And I can quote that to you as quickly as my mouth can make the words. And do you want to know the reason I got that tattoo? I got that tattoo because I got it in 2012 in San Diego um, from a, a really weird dude. Uh, don't go there. If, for those of you going to San Diego, don't get a tattoo from that guy. I don't remember his name, um, but don't go to him. Um, anyways, I got that tattoo initially because I never wanted that truth to leave my life. I got it permanently on my shoulder right here because I never wanted to escape it. I wanted it to be so firmly implanted into my life that every morning when I woke up, I would look at 2 Corinthians 5.21. But something terrible has happened. No, I didn't lose my shoulder. It's still there. You guys can see it. But something terrible has happened, and it's worse than escaping that truth. It's that it's become ineffective in my life. And that mug, that poster, maybe your tattoo, maybe your I am second bracelet, let's be honest, has probably lost its effectiveness in your life. And tonight, as we dive into the text that Bird read, Colossians 2, 16 through 19, the main point of the text, I'll just spoil it for you right now, can be summed up with like one of those solid Christian sayings that you guys thought of. I mean, it could be summed up with, like, it's all about Jesus, or maybe uh, Jesus plus nothing equals everything, or maybe only Jesus matters, or maybe let go, let God. Tonight's message is going to sound, in, the, the main point of tonight's message is going to sound incredibly similar to everything that we have heard this entire semester, and it is that Jesus is sufficient. But I fear that that truth, that incredible truth, has become ineffective in our lives today, much like the tattoos or the bracelets or the coffee mugs that you might have. Tonight, the main message is the sufficiency of Christ. Pretty much, the, it follows the same pattern as every message that we've preached so far this semester, and it's believed Jesus is who he actually says he is and act accordingly. And in this particular text that Bird read for us, there are two overarching uh, immediate truths about Jesus that we learn. The first comes in verse 17 when it says that all of these things are a shadow of things to come, and that substance belongs to Christ. So pretty much what Paul is saying in verse 17 is that, well, essentially all all of the Old Testament laws, all of the traditions, all of the regulations that you find in, in Jewish customs are summed up and fulfilled in Christ. And then later in verse 19, two verses later, is the second thing we learn about Jesus, and it's that Jesus is the head Pretty much that means that he is above all else. He is the King of kings, the Lord of lords, that Christ is the ultimate. He is supreme. He is the triumphator. And we can sum up both of those by just saying that he is sufficient. See, like you, Jesus is enough. 
That's the message. Jesus is sufficient. God's grace is enough for you. For God so loved the world that, yeah, by grace you have been saved. I can do all things through crap. We just found ourselves using the Bible to ineffectively do things in our lives. All of those things, like you guys filled in the blanks in your mind. But, like, those haven't, when was the last time that those actually changed you? And I'm here to say, say like you, we all know this stuff. We know all these Bible verses. We know we can tell one another that Christ is enough. We just sang two beautiful songs. Give me Christ or else I die. How much more explicit does it get? Like, that is a powerful statement that we all just sang together. And so we could say all those things, but why doesn't our life say all those things? And there should be like some, ooh, spirit bomb dropped right there. Or not. I was hoping for that, but anyways. See, like you, I fear that the gospel message has lost its effectiveness in our lives. I fear that the truth of last week's message that Andrew gave of Jesus being the triumphator has lost its effectiveness in our lives. Last week, we heard Andrew deliver a beautiful message, and he built out this incredible picture of how in, in the Roman times, when, a Roman, uh, when the Roman Empire would conquer a new territory, they would take the king from whatever territory he was conquered in and parade him back to the capital city of Rome. And once they got to the capital city, he, they would strip the, the king, they would beat him, they would mock him, and they would lead him in front of all of the city of Rome and they would all openly put him, or he was put openly to shame, right? And that behind that person, behind that king, was the triumphator. And everybody would be singing the praises of the person who had just conquered this new king. Well, last week Andrew said that Jesus is our triumphator, right? And we can communicate all of those things. And, and then Andrew said, if he is our triumphator, why are you being taken captive by these these things that just got triumphed over. Why, why do you keep putting yourself back into captivity? And I'm assuming if you guys are anything like me, you have been in captivity since last Tuesday. And so you can tell, you can communicate to me with your mouth, and you can intellectually assent to the truth that Jesus is our triumphator. But when we look at our lives, honestly... Does it communicate the same thing? Last week we learned that Christ is victorious over everything. But I fear that the truth of Scripture has lost its effectiveness in our lives. And so at this point, I hope that you guys are going, crap, he's right. You know, the gospel has lost its effectiveness in my life. The truth of Scripture has lost its effectiveness in my life. And as I look around, it, I mean, this person right next to me is the same way. Uh, and this other person, it's definitely lost its effectiveness there. And so what is happening? And I hope that you're all like, okay, let's do something about it. And let's dig back into Scripture. Let's dig back in and see what we come up with. 
So open up your Bibles again. And, and therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about, wisdom, about visions puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head, from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with the growth that is from God. So as we dig into this, before we just took the two verses, we took verse 17 and verse 19, and we just kind of over our, uh, just like summed them up and Christ is sufficient, right? Well, let's actually dig into the text and see what we find. And if we actually dig, out, dig into the text, we can, we can see that Paul is essentially addressing two groups of people. He's addressing people in 16 and 17, and he's addressing a different group of people in 18 and 19. All right? The first group of people that Paul addresses are the people who say that in addition to Jesus, people need to observe all these Old Testament and all these old Jewish customs. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. Just real briefly, I did all the studying so you guys don't have to here. Festivals were things like the Passover, um, they were like yearly obligations that you had to do. You had to go to these things, and there was the festival of tents and all this stuff. Um, and then you've got the new moon, which was supposed to happen every new moon, believe it or not. Uh, new moon is not to be confused with blue moon for all of you guys out there. Thank you for the pity laughs up front. Thank you. I'll take even those. Um, but the new moon, it was supposed to happen every time there was a new moon. They didn't have, you know, uh, the iCalendar app on their iPhones back then. Um, they were still in uh, iOS 8. Thank you. Thank you. That was another joke I was hoping for laughter. Thank you. You guys are too nice to me. But, okay, so, anyways, we've got the old Jewish customs, which was the new moon, which was the festivals, and then the Sabbath. The Sabbath was actually, it actually snuck its way into um, the Ten Commandments, and God held it very, very, very important, okay? And what we find out here is that the Colossian Christians were being judged because they were not observing these correctly, or they weren't um, doing them the right way, or they might not have even been doing them in the first place, okay? And then we see the next group of people in, verses eight, in verse 18. The second group of people in verse 18, it, it reads like this, Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by a sensuous mind. The second group of people that were trying to lead the Colossians astray sound to me, like they are Roman pagans, uh, maybe Roman mystics, maybe uh, even maybe some Gnostics. Andrew kind of talked about some Gnostics last year, or last, well, I did that too, but last week. Um, it, but what we see is that uh, there are these people who are insisting that Jesus is like one of the spiritual beings that is to be worshipped in connection with another spiritual high being, so that's the worship of, of angels and stuff like that. And that you have to, um, and then we have asceticism or asceticism, I don't know how you want to pronounce it. Trevor Hagedorn is very adamant about asceticism, so I went that way. 
Um, and that's only funny to like 10 of you guys, but I heard some giggles back there. Thank you guys. Uh, so asceticism is like extreme devotion for a religious pers- purpose. So you're depriving yourself of all pleasure. Uh, you're whipping yourself. Uh, you are abstaining from all things that have to do with pleasure in the hope that you will someday or at some point either get a vision uh, I would call that hallucinating. Sometimes that happens when I get super hungry. I start to see things, right? That's kind of what I think this is about, right? But to do that in order to like achieve a higher level of consciousness or to get some more holy points, that's asceticism. Okay? And Paul identifies both these groups of people, the Jewish people and these New Age mystics. Okay? And then he responds to them separately. He's, he responds to them in 17. Uh, the Jewish people in 17. And he says, these are a shadow of things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Pretty much Paul is saying that none of those things are as important as Christ. Now hear what I said. I'm not saying that those things are not important. I'm saying that they are not as important as Christ, okay? And he uses this really cool image. These are a shadow of the things to come. And he's saying, don't grab onto the shadow. Look to the substance of the shadow. And that makes sense to us. We wouldn't grab onto a shadow. Like, you can't can't grab it. Like, there's nothing there, right? That's what he's saying. And he's saying all of these things, all these Old Testament rituals, all these Jewish rituals are a shadow of the things to come. And the substance ultimately belongs to Christ. Then Paul addresses the New Age mystics, and he says, and not, and, and not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments grows with the growth that is from God. <coughs> Excuse me. Essentially, Paul refutes all of them. He doesn't break them down into individuals. He doesn't talk to the Gnostics. He doesn't talk to the, the people who are worshiping angels. He doesn't talk to them all individually. He sums them all up and, and deals with them the exact same way, and he says, Essentially, Paul refutes all of them by saying, you can't get any more spiritual or any more enlightened outside of Christ. Christ is not like the angels or part of a larger body of spiritual creatures like the Gnostics would have, you, have people believe. Christ doesn't demand that you deprive the body to achieve more holy points so you can be closer to him. Jesus doesn't require you to enter a trance to see him. And also, Jesus doesn't require you to find new ways to encounter him through nature or through any other type of thing that can be perceived with your senses. But now we have dug down deep. We have seen the nooks and crannies of this passage. (coughs) So let's come up for a little bit of air. Let's kind of digest what we just heard. We just heard a bunch of information about Paul refuting false teachers 2,000 years ago. And I fear that all of that information is just simply that, that it is just simply information. Interesting information, I hope. I geek out over this stuff, but I hope you guys do too. And I'm going to add a little bit more cool information for you. In verse 16, he says, let nobody judge you. Last week, Andrew just said, that you have already been judged in Christ and you have been judged not guilty. 
and that he has brought all the things that are attempting to judge you into open shame. And so when Paul says, don't be judged, he's saying, pretty much he's just repeating what he just got done saying. Isn't that kind of cool? Thank you. Thank you. Uh, and then he says, let no one disqualify you. If you've got your Bibles open, flip back to uh, Colossians chapter 1, or it might be on the same page. <coughs> Colossians 1, 12, verse 12. And it says that God has qualified you, essentially, in Christ. And so he's saying, let nobody disqualify you because you're already qualified in the highest possible, uh, highest possible way in Christ. That's kind of cool, isn't it? Thank you, thank you. I think that that's really cool. But my fear is that all of that is just cool information to us. I fear that that information won't lead to transformation. I fear that when we hear all of these cool facts, we actually miss the point of what Paul is trying to make here in this passage, and that is Christ is sufficient. So instead of looking at it about, okay, Paul refutes all of these false teachers, and we, instead of looking at it um, as we are the Colossians, and Paul's writing to us, hey, don't be led astray by anybody in, um, that's insisting on Old Testament rituals or pagan mysticism. I don't remember the last time somebody insisted that I observe a new moon or somebody who has insisted upon me worshiping angels. Just here in Nebraska, I don't run into that very often. And so my natural tendency is to check out and go, well, okay, that passage isn't for me, but I think it is for us. I want us to look at this passage now the way I think Paul intended us and the Colossians to look at it, and that is to look at it at his major point, which is Christ is sufficient. Now, I've said that probably 25, 30 times tonight, and I still haven't like gotten an uproar of, of cheer, you know, and that's because I think we're numb to it. I think it's lost its effectiveness to it. So now I go back to saying, to, to what I was talking about earlier when I first got up here about all of those simple truths losing their effectiveness, your I am second bracelets, your tattoos, your coffee mugs, your posters, all of those things. They've lost their effectiveness in our lives. And I want to go back to why you can tell me all of the spiritual things, why you can recap Andrew's message by saying Christ is victorious. Or you can tell me right now, like, oh yeah, Christ is sufficient. But, like, our lives can't do the same thing. I want to talk about why we let others pass judgment on us and why we allow people to disqualify us and why we pass judgment on others and why we disqualify others. I want to talk about why we pretend that the shadows have substance and I want to talk about why there's no growth in our lives. In City Like You, it's, it's just simple. Like, all of, like the reason we can't do all of those things, the reason our lives can't back up what we say is because, honestly, we don't believe that Christ is sufficient. It's that simple. I could just, like, walk off the stage right now, but I, I think we're left with one last conundrum here. And so I just said that you can't tell me, or you're, like our lives can't speak the message that our mouths proclaim because we don't believe the message that we proclaim. And then I just told you that the answer is to believe what Christ said. Like, do you guys see how that can maybe be circular reasoning or something like that. The answer 
to Christ, like us not believing that Christ is sufficient, is believing that Christ is sufficient. Like, somebody call me out on that. Like, that obviously doesn't make sense, right? Okay, that was a question. You guys can say, okay, yes, yes, you can call me out on that. Somebody, please? Thank you, thank you. There we go. All right, you're still here. (coughs) Excuse me. Our main problem presented in this text, but also just through us looking at our lives, is that, honestly, we don't functionally believe that Christ is sufficient. We don't functionally believe that we are second. We don't functionally believe that we are the righteousness of Christ. We don't functionally believe that Jesus plus nothing equals everything. What do I mean by that? Um, I'm about to tell you, and this is not the very fun part for me, but hopefully you guys can see this. Scripture, I think, this, this passage right here, Colossians 2, 16 through 19, Paul says that essentially Christ is sufficient. And that the answer to all these false teachings, the answer to not actually believing that Christ is sufficient is to believe it. And the secret that Paul gives us here is simply to identify what is not the substance and cling to the head. So what do I mean by that? That's another Christianology term or whatever. Simply it is this. Identify what is not of Christ in your life and cling on to what Christ who Christ actually is. Does that make sense? Oh, wonderful. Okay, so now, how do you actually do that? And I I could get up here and tell you three different ways to uh, have Christ in the center of your life or seven different ways Christ isn't in your life. Uh, But I don't think I can lead people to a place that I'm not willing to go myself first. And so I'm actually going to go first tonight in hopes that you guys will follow me, in hopes that you guys will identify the things that are not of Christ in your life, what Scripture says is not Christ in your life, and that you will cling to who Christ actually is. And it starts by identifying the shadows in your life. And it comes from identifying what you're trying to add onto Christ. For example, for me, the first evidence that I don't believe that Christ is enough is actually a shadow can be found in my struggle with lust. Last semester, I got up and preached and told you all that I'd been battling a porn addiction for 15 years. And I am still battling that addiction. It is still trying to destroy my life. But guess what? Jesus is still victorious. He is my triumphator. I deal with it every day. But because Jesus is my triumphator, I have been presented now with the option to not be taken captive by my sin. And I have the option now to choose to praise my triumphator. You guys see that? The second bit of evidence I'll give you guys tonight that I don't believe that Christ is enough can be found in my struggle with the approval of man. And I'm, I'm going to try and be pretty specific here because I want you guys to, to latch on to, to what I'm saying and hopefully you will be able to be specific with yourself and with others. But almost everything I do is so people, so you guys, will think a certain way about me. 
Okay? Most of the time, I want you guys to think that I'm a good person. I suffer from nice guy syndrome. And so the things that I do, I try to present myself as a nice guy. For example, um, I say hi to a lot of people, or I try to say hi to a lot of people because I want to be perceived as friendly. Or I help people move uh, a lot of times because I want people to think that I am helpful. Or I get up here and preach because I want you guys to think that I'm a godly man. Um, let's see, I get up and I play the bass or I play the guitar and sing because I want you guys to know that I'm musical and I want you guys to think that I'm a worshipful man, right? And, I mean, there's also the flip side. Like, sometimes I'll lie about when I actually woke up because I don't want you guys to think that I'm actually lazy and that I just sleep, slept in. Or it, it can be as serious as, like, I didn't tell anybody that my grandfather passed away because I didn't want to be pitied. All of these things, are, they're just the tip of the iceberg. But almost all of my actions are based in what, how you will perceive me or how I will perceive myself. But I, want to, I don't want you guys to miss the subtlety of the sin in this moment. The subtlety of the sin is that all of it was about me. If... I believed that Christ was actually sufficient, then why would I care about the way I dress? Why would I care about whether or not somebody thinks that I'm helpful? Or why would I care that somebody is offering me pity? Or why would I care about whether or not somebody thinks that I'm a hard worker or that I'm lazy? If I actually believed that Christ was who he actually is, and I acted accordingly, then I would be seen as helpful. Then I would be seen as all of those things, but not because I want you to believe that, but because I believe that Christ is sufficient. Do you guys see that? Do you guys see the subtlety of how quickly we twist that? I, it's really dark out there, so I can't see heads nodding. So can you like say yes? Yes. Good. And now if you're saying to yourself, yeah, but I'm not perfect. Nobody's perfect then you have missed my point of tonight. If you're saying to yourself, yeah, well, I slip up sometimes and I do all that, you have missed my point tonight. Yes, all of those are true, but my point tonight is that Christ is sufficient. The message of tonight is that Christ is perfect. Yeah, you're not perfect, but Christ is perfect. Last week, Andrew... Um, quoted 2 Corinthians chapter 3, and, when he, and he, he made this point. He said, you become what you behold. Well, if we behold Christ, then we become like him. But if we behold ourselves, then we worry about how we are perceived by other people or how we are perceived by ourselves. And so the point of tonight's message, the point of tonight, uh, the point of this text, all of it, Paul is addressing false teachers and the subtleties later on in, in, uh, in the next little passage, it says that all of them perceive to have wisdom. All of these things are, uh, all of the false teachings that were addressed tonight may not necessarily pertain to us because we don't live in a Jewish Roman culture. We live in America, the greatest country of all time. Thank you. you I was hoping for a USA chant. But... The point remains. It's not about the false teachings. It is about Christ is sufficient. 
So I'm going to pray, and the band's going to come back up here. And, and the takeaway that I want you guys to, to walk away with tonight is, do you actually believe that Christ is sufficient? The answer is no. You don't, actually, you don't functionally believe that. You can intellectually assent to that. But like our bracelets, like our tattoos, like all of those things, they've just lost their effectiveness. Come back and actually remember why they're effective. So, bow your heads. Our God, who is in heaven, your name is holy above all other names. Would your kingdom come and would your will be done in our lives, here on earth, in city like you, in South Africa, in Thailand, in San Diego, in Alaska, in Omaha, wherever we might be, would all of it be done according to your will as it is done in heaven? And Father, I pray that all of the things, all of the gospel truths, that the gospel itself that has functionally become ineffective in our lives, I pray that you would make it effective again. I, believe, I, I pray that our disbelief would be changed to belief. I pray that all of the, all of the shadows that we are trying to grab onto, uh, we would recognize them as shadows and that we would move forward towards the substance, which is Christ. That we would actually behold Christ so we can become like him. Holy Spirit, would you come right now and would you empower us to actually do that? Would you empower us to not actually render this night, to render this gospel truth that you are enough, ineffective in our lives, but would it grab us deeply and would we grab onto the head, which is Christ? Father, we pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen.